Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What are UFOs? Are they here to expand human consciousness? What does what do they what does that actually mean anyway? Well, hello there and welcome to the uh, 401st edition of Behind the Paranormal. I'm so used to saying 300. And uh, those pretty good questions, good, good, those pretty awesome questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So, um, well, everybody, thanks for bearing with us this evening. A little bit of, oh, it was, it was a little, little bit of fun, a little bit of fun in the studio this evening. So this evening's guest was a big hit when he was on our CBS Radio Edition a few weeks ago, so we decided to continue our conversation with him on this edition of the show. But before we introduce him, it's time for a weekly paranormal contest. So last week's question was, in what country in 1936 was a flying robot reported? Well, that was in the Soviet Union. It was the winter of 1936 in the Pavlodar region of Kazakhstan and what was then the USSR. Uh, nobody got the question right, by the way. Uh, a Mrs. E.E. E. Loznaya later reported that when she was 15 and walking to school on a quiet road, she saw a man-like figure flying by dressed completely in black. There was a rumbling noise and he appeared to be wearing a helmet, had a shiny black surface where the face should have been, and wore a backpack. Well, there you go. Today, uh, we would say it was someone with a jetpack or other personal flying device, but those supposedly didn't exist in 1936. So this week's question is, in what Indian city did police respond to a reported poltergeist attack in 2008? So if you get that right, win a copy of UFO Hunter's Guide, Sightings, Abductions, Hotspots, Conspiracies, Cover-Ups, The Identified and Unidentified, and more, by tonight's guest. So we do welcome callers this evening, and the numbers locally, or from Canada, 401-766-1240, or from anywhere in the U.S., 401-449-1240. Again, a local number, 401-766-1240. My mic wasn't on that entire time. So let me... Let me <laughs> yeah, we're having uh, our problems. Yeah, we are, we are having our problems this evening. Yeah, don't... Just, just bear with me. It's Monday. So this week's <laughs> question, again, is in what country, or in what Indian city, rather, did police respond to a reported poltergeist attack? In 2008, so get that right and win a copy of UFO Hunter's Guide, Sightings, Abductions, Hotspots, Conspiracies, Cover-Ups, The Identified and Unidentified, and more, by tonight's guest. So we do welcome callers this evening, and the numbers locally, or from Canada, are 401-766-1240. Again, that's 401-766-1240. Brett Luter might be called a professional explorer of human consciousness. His bio says... Quote, he believes that from global politics to personal health and from television to spirituality, human consciousness is the key, golden thread or linchpin unlocking all mysteries, unquote. A published author since 1996, Brett holds a degree in journalism and has written over 700 articles and interviews and produced two, VD, two DVDs. Also a musician, Brett is the author of the book Song in Your Heart, the story for the search for the, of the of the search for the lost note, published before he wrote a UFO hunter's guide. His website www.brettluder. That's l-u-e-d-e-r. dot com. So Brett Luder, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hey, how you guys doing? Well, not, well, we're trying to get it together. Tonight. Yeah, no, I keep I keep trying to hit the mic button and keep sticking. I should probably just keep it on. I'll just keep it on. We'll get it. Everyone loves to hear your voice, man. Oh, I know. 
Alrighty, so um, a few weeks ago we were you were on our CBS edition of the show, and we okay. talked about UFOs and human consciousness. So can you tell this audience what what it's all about? Tell them what it's, what it's all about. That's a loaded question. It is a, a lot of people question. stuck in traffic listening to this show, so get them wound up. Right. Okay. Uh, well, I basically uh, wrote the book, A UFO Hunter's Guide, because I got tired of listening to government officials feed a bunch of lies and disinformation to the public, and and I'm kind of tired of me kind of waiting to see what they're going to do next. And, and so I figured, well, gosh, let's look into this UFO investigator thing uh, uh, and see if I can just kind of take charge myself turns out it doesn't take very much uh, official training. It just takes a logical, rational mind, uh, a very inquisitive mind. And um, what I think it boils down to is, is uh, people gravitate towards the study of UFOs because they're really seeking deeper meaning for themselves. And um, this is what I found, one of the many patterns that I've found um, writing the book and, um, and just basically giving people the knowledge in one spot to be able to, to at least think that they can go out and start to investigate a sighting themselves, know how to talk to a witness, know how to get a, a response out of a government official, know how to go do archival research, how to fill out a competent, clear report. It's not rocket science, really. It's actually very simple, and anyone can do this. So that's basically why I wrote the book, to try to help people, give people, arm people, with the, uh, the tools necessary to go out and, and figure this thing out because I don't. I think if we wait around for the government, we're going to be waiting around forever. Well, that's, no, that's a valid answer. So, where would uh, the abduction experience fit into all of this? Um, very good question. Big controversial subject: uh, alien abduction. Is it happening all within the victim's mind, and therefore a psychological issue, or is there? some type of a physical event going on of which these victims have a recollection of. That's the, that, that's the first question posed, I think, when this stuff started coming forward uh, in the 50s and 60s, and I think that question is still the most prominent question now. It has not been resolved. But I would like my little two cents in my little <laughs> corner of the world, I think I can add to it, you know, how cocky is that? Um, I think that the phenomena really involves both. It, it involves dreamlike states, that are very real to the experiencer, but yet in this world, in this physical 3D world, they're very hard to explain and and um, corroborate with um, what most people's experiences are. So we have nothing with which to to um, uh, uh, compare an abduction experience with, except if, unless we go to dreams. And we all know how you know dreams can be perceived. They're not really real according to Western thought. All right. So, so why all the so that brings up the question: uh, Why all the physical effects, like radiation, like some people exhibit radiation yeah. poisoning, some people exhibit like insertion marks, things sure. like that, scoop marks and, and uh, uh, claw marks in some cases, um, reddish uh, skin, rashes, um, bruises, all these things that have been reported after an alleged abduction. And um, you know, as a, a young budding researcher myself. And, and I'm, I've got a lot to learn, a lot of dues to pay, and and, and um, I'm eager to do, to learn. Um, I realize that I'm not going to get really anywhere talking with these types of people if I'm going to scoff at them or make fun of them. So whatever these people tell me, I just I take notes and and 
in no case have I ever found that someone was trying to lie to me or that I felt that someone was trying to lie to me. When, when a genuine experiencer is telling you their story, you can feel the emotions off of them. You can, it's compelling. Um, this really bothers them. And so it really doesn't matter if I'm or anyone else in the external world is arguing over whether or not their experience is valid. If you're going to help these people, you need to just take it at face value and help them in any way you can, really. And so with that in mind, I think that kind of unites the psychological camp with the um, with the physical camp, you know, that, that uh, the abductions are real physical events versus just something that happens in your head. I think those two are merged. And with that in mind, gosh, now we can create a setting where people feel comfortable to come out and tell their stories where in most cases in today, and especially in social settings, many different kinds of social settings, you start talking about this kind of stuff and you are instantly branded as some kind of weirdo. Um, but really, emotionally, the human body needs to express itself when it's been traumatized. That's how it heals. And so if we can create an environment um, uh, uh, where people feel more comfortable to come out, uh, I think that would be totally awesome. And if my book can help that in any way, uh, I would consider it a success. All right. Now, we're dealing with with this issue on several levels tonight uh, here, Brett. Uh, one Good. is, let's start with the... I'm not going to say the simplest, but but the most obvious. The question arises, and remember, you're dealing with uh, mostly a New England audience here, at least in the live broadcast. So what you want to do is um, try try to, uh, and they have to realize that you're in California, and and when we're, whenever we've been in California, it's been uh, people are, are I think more open minded to much of this than some of us hard headed New Englanders. I don't know, maybe that's changing, okay. but there it is. The question arises: What are UFOs, and there are many answers to that. And but right. even before we get to that, there's the issue of how we perceive them. And it, when you mentioned scoop marks, things of this kind, it brought up two, two things in my memory. One was the time I sat down with Bud Hopkins, and Bud Hopkins being uh, he's now passed away, but he was the leading expert in one of the leading experts in abduction phenomena right. and abduction research of his day. And we sat down with a photo album, and I was astounded, and so was he, by the similarity between the marks on the bodies of those who had been supposedly abducted and the marks on the bodies of those who had been attacked by what we know as poltergeists. The similarities were amazing. So that's one question. In other words, is it the context in which this thing is experienced that determines our judgment on what it is? I think absolutely we, we view reality through our particular lens. And uh, <clears throat> I think uh, we are experiencing as humans uh, uh, an array of overlapping phenomena that we are only just kind of making some sense of by even isolating something into a category called UFOs. But from what I got doing my book, from the research doing my book, what, from what I can tell is there's a, a whole bunch of different kinds of UFOs. It's not just hard alien craft. They could be ethereal craft. Um, there's m- much testimony, much channeled information. I know that's controversial, <coughs> excuse me, but there's a lot of channeled information about um, interdimensional um, ascended masters. But there's also man-made craft that I think the elitists or the bankers or our dark secret government are working on creating technology for anti-gravity and free energy and are experimenting uh, with these crafts, and that's a lot of times what we see as UFOs. Yeah. So to say that that uh, an abduction 
can be construed in terms of a poltergeist or the other way around, a poltergeist can be construed as an abduction. To me, that doesn't surprise me at all. I think we're seeing an array of phenomena just within the abduction experience that uh, is, is spiritual and physical and sometimes both. Yeah. And I think that poltergeist would be the energetic spiritual side of, of kind of what's going on. Because maybe, maybe they're being spiritually abducted. I mean, you know, David Icke talks about the reptilians can hijack a, a soul and inhabit the body. Um, so, you know, and shoot, this could even go back to ancient Christian tradition, you know, with the exorcism and the demons. Well, yeah, I've you had know, experience think, with all that, so uh, I, mean, I, I, I don't know. We're, we're, we're really opening a Pandora's box here. As sure, as we sure are. The, 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 the number of things we have to discuss in 45 more minutes. Um, well, one of the things, another thing you mentioned, uh, Brett, too, that, that brought something to mind was, was your, um, your statement that, that some of these experiences could be uh, in dream states or altered states of mm-hmm. consciousness and still be real. It brings to mind the time we had Michael Persinger on. Uh, and Michael Persinger, for those who don't know, is a scientist uh, at Sudbury University in Ontario. And what he does is, uh, he's a consciousness researcher as well, uh, but he is able to stimulate in the laboratory by means of usually of electrodes and a thing he, know, he's, he calls the God Helmet. He puts on people and is able to stimulate things like near-death experiences and uh, going, you know, down the tunnel and all this meeting loved ones or, or Jesus or, or, or whoever uh, in, in the year end of life experience, and it's it's uh, it's all stimulated. However, we were kind of prepared to blow him out of the water, but he agreed with us that, th- that this does not mean that it's not real, right? You know, so so I think that is a critical point to well, to understand in, in any of these paranormal per- perception questions that's right you know the way from what you just described it, it it's like he has uncovered the mechanism by which a biological unit called the brain experiences these experiences that it gets triggered and then an automatic response happens but but and they don't so, seem to be full experience it's the opinion and I've never done you had been in his lab or anything but the opinion right. is that the experiences are not full experiences that you would have if they occurred naturally they they are okay. equivalent to it and, and maybe the beginnings of it but they somehow it doesn't it doesn't that's it, what i was just getting at was he's just uncovering the mechanism there by you go which yeah this yeah. this biological unit gets triggered now what triggers that naturally that's the question sure that's so it he might that's be it. able to touch on it with an electrode in the in the lab but I'll bet he's just scratching the tippy-tippy surface. Yeah, oh yeah, I think a lot of people think that's exactly what's happening, and he, he might agree. Now, this leads us to the question of, of course, you know, what are UFOs? And you mentioned some possibilities. There is another possibility that has been considered, uh, I'm sure, by more people than, than us, and, and we're, we're not primarily UFO researchers by any means, but it's the issue that these might be living creatures, mm-hmm. some of them anyway, because they look like these orbs that we're always running into, and, and the, the, the ghost-type people will say, aha, spirits, and all this business. And there is some indication, to us anyway, that these orbs that are ubiquitous in many of these paranormal photos and all this business, and sometimes in UFO shots, uh, are actually plasma-based life forms of the kind speculated on by people like Carl Sagan and, and astrobiologists, things of this kind. So uh, does this kind of, if, if, that, if that is the center of UFO experience, if it is a living thing in any given case, uh, w- what would that do to the meaning of the experience, in your opinion? Well, that would, that, 
the first thing that comes to mind is that it would be a, a shamanic experience, like with a, a lion or a tiger or some type of an animal totem. Maybe you have a plasma being as your totem. Um, that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind. Yeah. But, but I think as, as humans, we are experiencing an array of phenomena and, and a very limited slice of it. Um, it was Trevor James Constable, I think, who first brought forward the idea of plasma creatures in a book called Sky Creatures. I think it was called from 1978, classic book. Um, and, and what he describes is kind of being confirmed by Jose Escamilla with uh, this uh, thing called rods, um, what appears oh, yeah. to be a living yeah. being that's floating around in the sky. It travels so fast we can't see it with the naked eye, but it can be photographed. Also known as skyfish. Um, okay, yes, yeah, right, yeah. that's right. And, and um, what I look at it as is the atmosphere is an ocean. And so when I look at our ocean, we have thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of species living in the ocean. And we're still discovering stuff at the bottom down by those thermal vents, you know, new life. And and I think in the sky, it's just another kind of an ocean. And we only, Trevor James Constable described one kind of creature, a plasma being, which I'm sure can take a variety of forms. I don't necessarily understand plasma yet myself. Um, but these rods now are pointing to that there's an ecosystem up there. Um, and then when, if you want to take that thought further, we're also swimming in an ocean of a dimensional ocean. And so many times these dimensions overlap um, through vortexes or um, gateways of some kind, wormholes, whatever, on Halloween when the veil is thinnest, whatever you know, kind of metaphor you want to use. Um, so I think, you know, we, I mean... It's all true. It's all possible, and I think it's all going on right in front of us. And we're just becoming aware of this in little fragmented pieces that we call specifically poltergeist research or ghost research or, or um, UFO research or Bigfoot research. But really, they're all part of one ecosystem that we're just not fully aware of. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. They are part of uh, nature, part of an ecosystem. But when you mention the word poltergeist, to me, uh, Ben hasn't had the pleasure yet in his uh, eight, eight years now. Of, well, I'm uh, sure this. it'll be a pleasure when it happens. Oh, they're, they're, a real, they're a lot of fun, <laughs> believe me. But um, I got no impression. Uh, when I've been in the presence of these things, particularly when they've been ripping up houses, and there were two cases in my 42 years of this that really, really stand out. One was Bridgeport 1974, and it was the, well, what was the following year in, in uh, New Haven, Connecticut as well, both in Connecticut. These were nasty, hungry, hostile beasts. Uh, they were alien in the sense that they did not seem human to me. They came across very clearly as almost sterile or sterile in, in their, 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 their feeling of their presence. Um, I got no impression at all that they were doing anything but feeding off the energy being being pumped out by people who were afraid of them or angry at them. And I, I learned this the hard way because I was uh, angry at one because I actually had a physical altercation with it as it tried to attack the child in the house, and I pushed against it. It pushed back. And, uh, I mean, I just got no impression here of anything that's trying to <laughs> improve our consciousness or help right. bring us to the next step in evolution or anything like that. I mean, so when you use the word poltergeist, that's what I think of. Uh, what say you? Well, unfortunately, I think there's many, many beings in this magical universe, and we're, we're all on our separate species path. 
And then within that species, there's good beings and there's bad beings. And from our uh, point of view, I, yeah, yeah, and you know that to be true of humans, there's there's good, let's say, good attorneys and not so good attorneys. So this, and I'll let that ripple throughout the audience. <laughs> um, there, a lot of lawyers foot. listen to this show, Brett. Oh. Right, right, okay. So uh, Bigfoot itself, uh, when I'm in my contact with Kiwani Lapsoritis, uh, he says that the big, when the Bigfoot talk to him, they tell him that there's, you know, they don't have to keep track of all of them. Some of them are rogue or some of them are angry. You know, their environment's being encroached on. The point is there's good ones and bad ones. And so, you know, there's some dark entities out there, and I think, um, you know, like attracts like. Uh, we're, what What's coming in the external world is based on what's in our inner world first, and we project it outward um, to help manifest our, our everyday life. Now, I can go on to a big, long thing about my thesis on magic and why, that's, why that happened. Um, you let me know if you want to go there. Otherwise, I'll try to keep it on point. I okay. Think, uh, well, yeah, well, there, there are one or two. You can save that for the next half of the hour. Okay. Yeah, because we'll take okay. a break at 630, uh, or whatever it is, wherever you are. Now, this brings up the issue of, you know, what is really behind this? How do you tell whether it's good or bad? Behind the paranormal. Yes, exactly. That's that's why we call it that. We get behind Mm -hmm. stuff. And there comes to mind the exopolitics movement. (sighs) Now, we have a lot of friends in that movement. We've been uh, enticed to to consider joining it and all this, but I just... Having experienced the negative aspects of the paranormal as as I have over over, well, it the just years. seems downright. Um, what's the word? Naive. Naive. Yeah, that's the word. Well, you know, for example, and Ben Ben will remember this uh, when we talked to a certain friend of ours in Arizona who was an experiencer of the Phoenix Lights, and yeah. I myself saw the Phoenix Light. Ben and I were on our way to San Diego to do a program, and, and we uh, we the plane passed over the Phoenix Lights while they were manifesting. Wow one night, and uh, Ben didn't see it. He was on the other side of the plane. But uh, So I've seen him myself. But this particular friend in Phoenix says that she uh, has, and it might not be who you're thinking of, has feelings of peace and tranquility and great well-being and all sorts of positive stuff when these things pass over. But then there are other people who are completely terrified. Yeah, I guess there are. There are. So that's exactly the point. I mean, I would ask Brett's opinion. How do you judge... What these things are really about? I mean, these things—they could be about to attack, or they could, you know, assuming that there's some kind of real craft, or even if they're not. I don't know. The, the question is, you know, how do you really find any answers to this? But our point is that I don't think it's necessarily beneficial to us to have these things, some of them anyway, around. And I don't even know really how to put it. But in the case right. of the Phoenix Lights, I'm a little nervous when people assume it's like really, you know, that that it's good. Right. I mean, it could okay. be, but I, I just don't know. How do you how do you judge something like this? How do you know? Do you have to just do it for yourself, or, or what? Uh, you have to. It's part of your own trial by fire. You have to know yourself well enough to know what you're experiencing. Um, I asked J.J. Hertak, author of The Keys of Enoch, uh, that very question about discernment. How do I tell if an entity is good or bad? And the Hertak and Desiree Hertak was there as well, and they both concurred that if you ask it to leave and it does, then it's probably of the light. But if it doesn't leave when you ask it to, it's probably not of the light. So Mm. the other thing to consider is that this universe operates on contracts, or what in magic is known as binding. And our fearless leader, supposedly in 53 or 4, Eisenhower, 
supposedly signed a contract with a certain species called the Griotta Treaty that gave them permission to interject into various people's lives that we now have been describing as alien abductees. Really? Okay. Now, now yeah. this, this happens all the time in politics where we vote for a certain person in politics and then they vote for us by proxy. And when they're voting, they're basically agreeing to a new contract, which is a new law, and we may or may not have had full disclosure ourselves or, and, and really agreed to it. We just put that guy in place. So in reality, he's not. That there's really no contract. So my point is, uh, just because people, your leader has agreed to allow a certain number of people to be abducted, let's say, if it's that plain and blunt, um, those people maybe have a say, and they don't really like that. So we could be operating on a number of levels on contracts that have happened above us that we're not aware of, and really work to confuse our situation that we find that you know the well th- that that's that's well that's assuming a lot of things. Well, it is. So there are a number of questions that comes sure. before the questions that come before sure. that. Uh, you know, believe me, thir- thirty years in professional journalism, I, I you really become very careful about what you don't believe. And uh, now some of the some of the claims of the UFO people are, are I think, a little hard to believe. But hey, who knows? I mean, sure. they, you know, yeah. it's a strange world. Uh, treaties with aliens, this kind of thing. Who knows? Right. There, there's a question that has arisen in our work, particularly with a case in Connecticut now, where we ran into a certain amount of activity by military or paramilitary people and all this business, or at least with witnesses who said that, that that was going on. And the question arises, is it really the government who is keeping anything from us? Are they maybe more in the dark than we are, and then and then there's yeah, something else behind it? Like we have, uh, what's his name come on our show? I can't remember his name, but he's with the exopolitics movement. Oh, Bassett, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Frank Bassett. And he's like demanding oh, all these Frank. things from the government. And he's like, yeah, they're going to give it to us. They're going to give us the freedom of information kind of stuff. And then he gets, like, an answer from, like, a low, low, low-level bureaucrat. And he's, they're like, well, we don't have anything. So that's assuming that they do have information on this stuff, which they might not at all. I mean, the left hand of the, the left hand doesn't know what the right's doing, so to speak, because there's a lot of different branches of government that don't know what's going on. Yeah, and having been in the military and having, having had a certain amount of intelligence training, I can tell you that they can't organize a chess game. Now, now there are others who say, well, maybe that's what they want you to think. So this is just another question we would bring up. You know, is it really the government? Is is there perhaps some sort of shadow organization, or, or, or you know, not to get into these some of these conspiracy theories? Because I think some of them them really go over the top. But then again, you never know. But then, what would be the point? What would they even get out of it? I don't know. An agenda? I mean, there's got to be some kind of agenda behind some of that. I mean, what do you say about all this, Brett? Uh, I am definitely of an advocate that there's something in the government that is affecting this that knows that's covering up stuff, that's covering itself up in some way, whether or not it's little green men or secret technology, I'm not sure if it's one or the other, or both, probably both, because the more I study stuff, the more you see that all the possibilities are happening. Um, and it, it, uh, I think the problem that people have going and asking uh, uh, stuff from the government, um, there's a legal situation that's been set up today, and just to make a long story short, the Constitution's no longer in play, in case you haven't noticed. Our yeah, 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 I noticed that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's been basically, to make a long story short, turned into a trust, where they've made the American people the beneficiaries of that trust. And if you take a benefit from the state, then you're considered a beneficiary and or a debtor. 
Okay, and so the state, a big fictitious corporate entity, is literally dying. You see all the debt keeps going up every year. Oh, gosh. And yeah. so it's got to shake the tree of all the debtors uh, uh, to get to keep from dying. And so that's why they can pull you over without a warrant and this and all that and say that things like speeding are a crime when there's no victim, that kind of thing. Well, what's, what's happening is that if they see you as a debtor, which means if you display debtor conduct, you're arguing, um, you're asking for uh, things that should be your right. So when you're asking for privileges and you already have rights, they know you're a debtor. So when Mm. you're asking this big, giant corporate fiction to give you something, they legally see you as a debtor and by law as a beneficiary, and by law they don't have to tell the beneficiary anything. That's just straight trust law. So in a nutshell, that's why all these judges and police officers and government officials can just trample over rights and get away with it and hide behind immunity. All right, well, on that cheerful note, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal on uh, WON, 1240 AM, in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, this is the Moose Man. Check out the groove line for the best blues, rock, funk, classic 50s, and the Beatles every single week. Tune in Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. That's the groove line right here on Owen. Owen Radio. And hey, guess what? No commercial tonight. We're going to come right back to the show. And we're talking no, with. Not like we really left. No, that's true. <laughs> Uh, physically, uh, ontologically speaking. Uh, we're speaking with Brett Luter, uh, author, a good friend of ours, certainly now, and uh, consciousness researcher from the great state of California. And we think he, of course, he lives, you live among the moon bats there, <laughs> Brett. And um, so New Englanders are a little bit more skeptical, but there's a lot of open-mindedness here, too, about these things. But there are a lot of questions as well. Depends on where you go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I often think back to our good friend Dierlon, who was the author of, of a book about the 2012 situation, uh, something maybe we'll touch on before the end of the show. And his UFO experience in, in Connecticut uh, back in the late 60s, uh, when, and, and of course if you expand that, that case, there's information that something crashed on Long Island and there was a big cover-up and all his business. And there is a... No question of certainly that uh, somebody comes in there and, and seals the area and all this stuff, and it, it's logically uh, pinnable, I suppose, on the government. So, so there we are. But of course, there are questions here of of who is is there one particular power behind all this, Brett, or or is it a number of of different competing interests? Now, you mentioned the sort of the establishment, as we used to say in the sixties and seventies, the man, and uh, but but they're they're are, are there alien races who are competing against one another? Are there, are there, is the whole thing just a, a, a cover-up or a ruse or, or some kind of a cover story uh, for some kind of secret activities by the government or somebody else? I mean, and what is it that that got to do with our consciousness other than controlling us? I mean, uh, we're getting into lots of different hodgepodge of stuff here, but what, yeah. where's this taking well, you? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's all about consciousness, and it's, in, in my view, it's all about controlling human consciousness so that you can have these humans labor and and um, then you can harvest that the product of that labor through the products and through taxes, um, uh, which is literally like harvesting your spiritual energy out of uh, uh, like the monetary system. In other words, that's a, it's a 
literally a giant magical ritual set up to harvest our spiritual energy. Really quickly, how that happens is if you uh, uh, sign your name for a mortgage, that mortgage is technically already paid based off your uh, Social Security number account, but then they charge you for it for another uh, three or four times what it's worth over 30 years, and they know where you're going to be. You're not going anywhere. So, So, yes, I think there's one big faction. Some people call it the Illuminati. Some people call it the bankers. I think that international bankers is more uh, uh, a direct term. They are directing traffic on Earth. I think that's proven unequivocally. I can name 15 books if you guys want. Now, who's in control of them? That's the big story. Is there something above them that's controlling them that's not of this Earth? I think that's the big question. Well, there are two um, questions, actually. One is what you just stated. You know, what's what's this got to do with UFOs, and is there some kind of control going on? And secondly, sure. uh, how do 310 million people in this country eat without corporations and banks and this whole big system? <laughs> you know, not that I'm, I'm some kind of big capitalist here. I, you know, I, I don't like capitalism. There's a lot I don't of, like there's, socialism either. I don't, well, there's I don't, a lot of practical things that come into play because it's – I don't like corporations either. And I, I I don't like anything about our society, but for some reason it works. Well, we we we, we eat. We yeah, have places to live. You know, mo- for now, the at vast least, majority of us. Yeah, well, for now we do. Things but we kind do. of yes. work. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, they def- could be. Depends worse. on your definition of what works, right? What, yeah, what yeah, you that, that, you're right. Works. You're right. You're right. Yeah, we're surviving. That's for sure. Yeah, but do we really know who we are, and are we are we really living as we should be? That's the question. Yeah, that's the big question. Yeah. I don't think we are. I think we've been limited in a number of ways. I think uh, that this is more territory of my first book, "Song in Your Heart: The Story of the Search for the Lost Note." Okay, it's volume one in my esoteric guide to the reggae vibe trilogy. And it's about the role of the Roots Reggae Rastas, like Bob Marley, and in terms of the context of what I describe as a global control for the, um, or a global struggle for the control of human consciousness. So now, what there is, is no conspiracy because we've given up our power little by little over the centuries. Yeah. That's basically what we've done. Because we're comfortable. We're, we get comfortable. Yeah. Um, there's the old parable of how do you catch a, a pig is you put food out. And then eventually the pig will smell it and come start eating it. Well, if you put food out every day, you can slowly build a fence around it, and it won't even know it because it's got food every day eating. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You're right. So, You're a cat like that. <laughs> so what So what works? It's, I think it's because we don't know who we are. We don't even know how to answer that question of what works because how do we know what works for us if we don't even know who us is? So what's the, what's the UFO tie-in here? I mean, are they behind it? Are they, are they some of them good, some of them... I mean, it, it seemed like the UFO thing... Well you, well, you tell us. It's all of the above, okay? I think there are, there are competing government factions that have control of higher technologies that could end this whole, uh, literally like a drug, druggy, uh, drug, drug dealer relationship with oil that we have with the, the powers that be. Um, I, but I also think that there's many indications that there's a, a battle in the heavens, of the, just to, to make it a real simple metaphor, the good versus the dark, you know, the light versus the dark. And I think that spills over in, onto the earth, onto this big experiment that I think was set up for souls to come and learn and grow. I think that's why we're all here. Well, since, and, oh, okay, I'm sorry, continue. I could just keep rolling, so cut me off whenever. <laughs> well, I'm, I was just thinking now. Well, actually, I've been thinking about this for a while, but it only just popped into my head because usually we don't go this... I try not to go this far out on the show because I like to keep a level head. <laughs> but it could be possible that if 
if it is, as we say it is, uh, saying that there's one giant, powerful, terrifying organization that's controlling everything, then wouldn't there be multiple organizations competing against each other? I mean, that's, that's well, just what I get the sense of. I mean, why? what would be the point of having just one if it's taking this long? Do you know what I'm saying? Well... Okay, so it's it's uh, I can would compare it to a jungle. You have many predators in the jungle, but there's always one predator that kicks the snot out of all the rest of them, and everyone just leaves that one alone. So I think you're right. There is many competing factions or, or groups at the upper echelon. Some people call them the thirteen families, and maybe those families, those houses, compete with each other. But one of them usually rises to the top, and it's at the top of I guess you could describe it as an oligarchy where they're all the leaders, but one of them's the big dog. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. And so what, what I mean by when I say there's one group, I, I'm referring to all of those on that level, maybe not the big dog family. Some say the Medici family's in control. Others say it's the Rothschild. Um, but I would just look at that level as, as that's what I'm talking to. Those, the Bilderbergers, the, the Committee of 300, those types of figures, the highest in finance around the world, the highest uh, uh, corporate executives, uh, the me- guys that control the media, the military, and science. All those people, it would appear, get inducted into, with ritually inducted into some kind of a club. The big question is, is that just humans, or is there maybe not just aliens? Maybe it's dark entities. Maybe it's demons. Maybe the Bible's 100% right, and it's the devil. I'll stay open to that. You well, know? You, you've driven right into an area that... I don't like to talk about because it's very, very dark, but sure. it is very present to us in our That's own right. our own work. Oh yeah, That's right. You know, and, and the question is, why is all this happening? And the question has arisen in our work, and we deal a lot with these these what we refer to as parasites, uh, which in folklore are demons and negative entities and stuff like this. And, and we, I, I think that us and some other people have sort of gotten to the bottom of what. That is all about, and it's simply that these are life forms, part of the ecosystem, as you say, who simply live between parallel worlds or can reach into several at a time. We've actually seen this in our paranormal work, and they, they, they're not servants of the devil or anything like this. They're literally just feeding right. on the human race. That's right. And uh, that it, and it's, it's a very nasty and dark and terrible thing to think about, but I've often wondered in my darkest moments, are we being farmed? Are we a species that was created deliberately just to be farmed? Now, 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 as, as one with a, uh, a, as a believer in God and, and one who has, has my spiritual rule and tries to be a reverent and, and godly person, I, I don't like that. You know, one likes to think that, that certainly God created this, and that certainly in, that's, that's got to be true. But were we subverted or otherwise uh, hijacked by somebody else? And there's all kinds of, and in my last book, I talked something about that. I tried to keep my feet on the ground with it, but it's hard to do sometimes. You know, about uh, evidence from our history, overwhelming evidence from our religious history and from our, our political history and our military history that somebody's pushing buttons here. And there are, there are too many patterns, too many mass patterns around the planet with us that, that indicate that... that um, as you say, something fishy is going on behind all this. So right. the question is, why is, is it set up this way, if, if indeed this is true, with right. the, these 
power groups and control and all this business. One might say, well, just human nature is just like that. People strive for power. Certain people do, and they just control others. Or does it go deeper? So I don't know. What do you say? Well, there was... I, my take is that because we've lost the knowledge of ourselves, whether that's by conspiracy or uh, by design or accident, I'm not sure exactly, without having to argue that point, because we've lost uh, of knowledge of who we are, we create external situations to help us learn about ourselves. Um, it's, it's basic sympathetic magic where you create an icon or a symbol of something and that imbue that symbol with energy and then that energy becomes a reflection of the creator. So uh, you have experience uh, as, a mu- as a musician, or a musician and a magician, don't you? Well, I've studied quite a bit, let's okay. just say that. I've yeah. studied so you know human nature pretty well. Traditions. Yeah. Okay, okay, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, that, that's okay. So I think what, what, you know, we create science because science is teaching us about ourselves. We create music, and music teaches us about ourselves in a very abstract way. But we also have created things like government because we don't want to handle ourselves. We need a government to handle it for us. And, and when, when, you're, when you're talking about giving up your power, that makes you vulnerable to outside influences. Um, if Don Miguel Ruiz is correct, and we have the four agreements, one of which is, is um, uh, like attracts like, to paraphrase, you send out what you get back, then what we've done is subconsciously created all these dark forces to teach us about ourselves. Huh. And, and, it, and as a ufologist, I'm finding this to be totally true within ufology. It's like a fast track to enlightenment because of all the different subjects that it puts me in contact with, all the different books that I've read on such a wide and, and supposedly out there subject or nature. Um, that's why we create these external situations. That's why I don't think there is a conspiracy. It's a global struggle for the control of human consciousness. And people ask, why won't the ETs just land? Well, if you, if you were dealing with a public that didn't know who it was and creates like voodoo dolls, let's say, is, a, is a, maybe the most widely known version of sympathetic magic. You to deal to teach them things. Like in other words, we're like a baby species, and you can tell because we're like playing with fictitious dolls that teach us about ourselves. And mm. this is where you find the government as a corporate fiction. It's like a, a voodoo doll, uh, and we've imbued it with we've empowered it with enough energy to where now it's starting to devour its creator. And, but it's just basic sympathetic magic. We have created this external situation because we've lost touch with this, with what's inside of us. That's funny because one thing you learn in military intelligence is that it's, it's not keeping secrets, it's keeping them guessing. That that really accomplishes the purpose. So so this, this brings, uh, we're in our last quarter hour here, but this brings us to the question, Brett, of where is all this going? Is it an end in itself or is there, is there an end? Coming up, but we think we might have, or at least I think I might have a possible answer to that. But what say you? Where, where's it all going? Well, I don't think um, any kind of big Armageddon is going to happen at December twenty first, two thousand twelve. Well, I no. think it's it's the end of a, of one cycle that the Mayans were tracking. They track many many cycles. Um, so it is curious, though, that many different traditions kind of point, in general, at least towards this date. What I think is happening is is the subconscious of the human species is restless, and it, it, it does not like the situation that it found itself in. Look at you as an individual, 
or I'll look at myself as an individual rather, and when I have when I'm pent up with an issue, I'm restless that night, man. I can't sleep. I'm dreaming. It's dreams are trying to tell me something. I got to make some kind of choice or decision, and I wake up in a cold sweat way too early, and I'm keyed. You know, I mean, this is the human species right now. We're being we're dreaming and restless, and and some, we've done this to ourselves, and we're realizing that we don't like it, and we're starting to shift. And part of that, I think, is reclaiming this energy that's been suppressed, and I think that's what people talk about as the feminine energy, the return of the feminine. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's that energy that's literally been just stepped on, and men have it too. It took me a long time to get it through my sixth soul that I had that feminine side to myself. Yeah. Um, and, and all women have a male side, so it's not a, not a matter of sexual preference or anything. This is purely energetic, polarity, positive yeah. and negative. And as magical beings, we all have both sides. That's where the balance comes from. The meeting of the, the two energies. And so, uh, you know, with knowledge of that and with, uh, with, um, an open mind and, and peace and love in your heart, I think whatever is going to happen, you're going to reflect your inner side back to you. And so the more you can stay calm, the more you can reduce your fear, the more you can be tolerant of other people's actions. And, and I'm not saying you can't defend yourself or there's not a time to defend yourself if that need be the case. But I'm saying that in general, if you send out the good stuff, it's going to come back to you no matter what's going on out in the world. And uh, I think UFOs play a role in at least a chunk of the population in helping them to realize that their change is coming and then that, that they need to work on themselves. Yeah, I hope, I hope that's true. Yeah. In 1991, I had the greatest teacher I ever had. And I've had many teachers of... Uh, Graduated from two seminaries. I had that aspect of it. I studied in various graduate schools, things of this kind, a lot of formal schooling. But the greatest teacher I ever had was a five-year-old boy who was dying of leukemia. And I've talked about him many times on the show. His name was Peter. He lived in the area of New London, Connecticut. And he, well, I was, he was called to my attention by his parents who were intrigued by the fact that he was talking to his grandfather who had died ten years before he was born. And they would have long, chatty conversations. And I got to know the little boy. We, we really hit it off. We'd take long walks hand-in-hand hand, uh, by the water and, and everything. And, and he, he referred, among many other things that he taught me, he referred to a battle between what he called the high men and the low men. And his strong indication was, and of course he could articulate this at his age, but he did so with his spirit. I guess. There are two distinct branches of the human race. One is, I suppose you might say, uh, higher-minded. I don't know. It's really difficult. Others are perhaps lower-minded. and that, that seemed to be the point he was making. Mm-hmm. And that there would be a battle between them round about sometime in the 21st century. And this, these are things he said his grandfather was telling him. Because his grandfather was, the way he put it, was able to climb trees. He was younger and he could see farther. And hear more in the particular world he was in at the moment, you know. So, because uh, I was, uh, you know, really intrigued by this. So, I mean, but, but in a way, you know, maybe it's that influence, but I have found in our own paranormal work, in con- you know, in, being in, in contact with weird things here and there in our own work and, and what, what we believe to be the denizens of uh, other realities that are parallel to ours, it's all one big system. But there's a lot of concern in the general neighborhood, so to speak, that there is some sort of a battle coming between the dark and the light, as you might put it. Um, 
I, I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Does that ring a bell with you anywhere? Well, I think, um, you know, I study creditors and commerce pretty heavily as a, a, a way to handle law that I found paralleled my own theses on contracts and magic, which I propounded at the 2008 Bay Area UFO Expo in a workshop called The Magical Mystical Contract. What Gordon Hall and Jack Smith showed me of creditors and commerce was that those same spiritual, universal, magical laws apply in commerce. That's how you can tell this is a magical, we're living in magic right now, we just don't see it that way. And contracts rule the game. And um, it's through the usage of this private contract, really, where you can kind of sidestep all the stuff that's going on. Part of their philosophy is that you become a benevolent creditor. Once you become the master of your own account, you're represented by your birth certificate or your social security number or an individual's all-caps name. Once you become a master of this and you can use the set-off technique, you can literally solve all of the problems that are going on in the world. A quick metaphor is the recent South Park episode, that cartoon, that brilliant cartoon, where Kenny writes a check and solves all the world's debt. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was really funny. Have you seen that? I remember that. Okay. That, was, that was a good episode. Well, let, let me just stop you for a second and okay. ask for a definition. When you say magic, you're talking yes. about the art of illusion, n- n- no. not in the Wiccan sense. No, but oh, that's okay. a very good question. Thank you for bringing it up. I'll make this quick. Okay. Magic is, is the protocols by which a consciousness interacts with its universe or a consciousness interacts within itself or a consciousness with another consciousness. They use what a consciousness does now is it either can bind energy or not bind energy. And all energy is free-moving until you bind it. Well, here in the material world, those bindings are called contracts. Okay? And so, and so the way that we use contracts and the way we communicate here on Earth is with three tools of binding, the three tools of manifestation, and those are ritual, symbolism, and intention. Now, this is not pagan. It's not culturally stylized. This is the this is the mechanism by which all spiritual traditions operate. It's so pervasive. Not only does, say, Aleister Crowley put on a black robe and cap and use a wand and does a six-month ritual called the Amalantra working, which supposedly opened up a portal uh, in the Earth 20s or 30s to let this entity known as Lamb come in, who just happens to represent all these gray aliens or look just like all these gray aliens. But the same... Three tools are used by each and every one of us every day uh, to do anything, like walking down the hallway. We have to hold the symbol of where we're walking first. We have to imbue it with our intention, uh, which is where the emotion comes in. You charge that, that thought, that symbol, and then you act it out in the ritual. And so you can describe any facet of, of society, any facet of human endeavor in these terms. And when I say magic, that's what I mean, is that literally every day, we are using these three tools to manifest each next event in our lives, whether we know it or not. And I think this is why you see magic be stigmatized in the, in the popular culture, because literally, once you see life from this, from this standpoint and develop what I call your magical lens, uh, when you start to see the world more in terms of contracts or rituals or symbols or commerce or polarity, these are all indications that we're living in a magical sea, a magical ocean of energy. When you can learn to see uh, the world this way, for me, everything opened up. I see all these hidden contracts going on. Why are they doing this to us? Why? Because of all these contracts going on 
They're doing big, giant business deals that affect us. They're doing giant magical rituals. If you've ever seen Eyes Wide Shut with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, that'll give you an idea of what's going on. And, and there's all these, because a spell is literally just an offer to contract. It's an offer to contract with the universe. It's, it's a group of people using the three tools to do a ritual to offer to the energies above them, whatever they may be, um, uh, to manifest something down here in the physical world. So these are the forces that are used against us, and, and so that's why I teach uh, magic is ritual, symbolism, and intention. And when you become the master of the art of the contract, you literally are learning how to fulfill your potential as a, as a human being on Earth using the three tools that the Creator gave us, and, and um, you can manifest your, your outcome. I mean, what, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You can literally, by law, create a bubble around you. Um, and supposedly World War III is going to be started because China or someone's going to come over here trying to collect the debt. Well, I think we're seeing we... the beginning of it in the Middle East. Okay. I don't think people well, realize, have any idea how serious this is, what's going on over <clears> there right now. Right. Well, So this is all based upon magical principles. So I would say study magic. All religions are based upon magic. Um, they use the I same was, three I tools, whether they're, whether they're pagan or not. It's the same three tools as the Catholic Mass. Or if it's a Hopi uh, sun ceremony, it's the same three tools, ritual, symbolism, and intention. So whether, whether magic is evil or not is inconsequential. It's just a tool. It's the way by which we interface with our surroundings, with our universe, with our, within ourselves, or with a fellow consciousness. Okay. And it just depends on the user as to whether or not it's good or bad. So what, what do we do? Uh, we're down to our last few minutes here. Yeah, we, we don't really have much time, so in ten words or less, what do yeah. we do? <laughs> I would master the art of private contract and study creditors and commerce. That's the most practical advice I would offer. And then spiritually protect yourself. Study study different kinds of protection. Sage is a common one. Sea salt. Also, uh, stones have been known to um, produce some uh, unique effects. So the and more you learn other, about the, 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 um, the hu- human nature and how the human mind works, the better off you'll be. Well, I would definitely recommend that as well. Study all the philosophies. You know, this is arduous background research goes into any spiritual tradition. And I think that couldn't be more true in ufology, which in the West, you know, it's like a Western shamanic uh, 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 endeavor that we've developed because we've kind of lost touch with our shamanic traditions in the West. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um all right. Yeah. Well, Brett, we're just about out of time. It's it's always stimulating. It's always you never know where our conversations are going to go. Right. Yeah. Tell us again about your time. book and and your website. Uh, my website, brettluter.com. Uh, you can reach me there via email. Um, <clears throat> I'm just doing my own mailing now for the first book. So if you're interested in the first book, uh, email me and we'll uh, work something out. And um, the, uh, the most recent book, A UFO Hunter's Guide, is available on Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble or Darn good, good book. bookseller. Very good book. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it again, you guys. Had a great time. Okay. It's, great it's time. always fun. Oh, yes. Thanks, Brett. We'll be in touch. Okay, guys. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Brett Luter, everybody. BrettLuter.com. Wonderful guy. Very interesting stuff. Indeed. Okay. Now, let's... Uh, we have one or two very small announcements here. We want to, of course, make you aware... Of our... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, wait. What were you going to say? 
Oh, no, I was just going to say uh, we're very proud to have just had our 400th show last week. Oh, evening. yes. Yes, we and, did. And uh, we're in our sixth season and uh, still going strong. And thank you for uh, for your support and your listening. Appreciate Indeed. It. So watch for more news of the Necronomicon Providence, the HP Lovecraft Convention, set for August 23rd through the 25th, 2013. And we'll be keeping you updated on that and uh, some other events, maybe, that are in the future. So you can always yep. check that always at www.behindtheparanormal.com. Yep. Don't forget, you can always get our free podcasts. We have 450 of them, or well, nearly there. So let's just let's just say 450. It sounds more impressive that yeah, way. Press likes a nice round number. Indeed. Yeah. So you can always uh, check those out and maybe some other stuff at the What's New portion of our website, www.behindtheparanormal.com. Dot com. And help us keep those podcasts free. They're, uh, I don't think anybody else has that many for free. But you know, if you're going to buy my books, uh, certainly a lot of people go to Amazon and everything else. But but you can buy them on the site too, and we'd, we'd appreciate that. Uh, my books, of course, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, and Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny on this subject. And uh, so check that out. All right. Uh, many thanks to our producer, Ben himself. Always does a fine job uh, amid all the crises that certainly arise in a radio studio. It happens. And next week, December 3rd, when Ben and I uh, will welcome author, publisher, and producer William Gladstone, uh, not the Prime Minister, the author, uh, to discuss his unique perspective on Will the World as We Know It end on December 21st. We're trying to milk that someday as long as we can because there are only a few weeks left. Indeed. We thought we'd better hit that topic again while we have a chance. All right. So on our regular CBS edition on December 2nd, my dad and I will host an open line show on any number of paranormal topics. So if you have any questions for us, get those emails in now or before the show. So Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com or Ben at BehindTheParanormal.com and we will leave you this evening with a quote from none other than my dad. So when you judge others, you are actually judging yourself. All right. Thanks for sailing with us on our great cosmic journey and we'll see you next time. Of course. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.